For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi, and welcome to The Rock Podcast. Once Daniel and his three friends arrive in Babylon as Jewish captives from Jerusalem, God begins his plan to raise them up into high-profile positions. Here in chapter 2, God gives the king a perplexing dream that only Daniel can help him with. Let's join Pastor Ross now with a message entitled, Nebuchadnezzar's Nightmare. Experts say that everyone on the planet dreams at least a, uh, a couple hours a night uh, in, and has multiple dreams every night, though we don't remember them all. I guess our subconscious mind needs um, some uh, sorting time, and uh, we do that while we're sleeping. The most common dreams, one through ten here, number one is the, uh, being chased, yeah, yeah, I see a lot of heads going, yeah, of course, yeah. How many have been chased in your dreams? How many of you are chasing someone in your dreams? No, <laughs> I don't want to know. Number two, uh, vehicles, planes, and cars, you're moving, and they say that signifies that our life journey, you know, we're, we're whatever. Number three, uh, people pop up from all uh, areas of our lives, you know. Number four, school makes an appearance a lot, and that... Uh, the test that you're not prepared for. How many of you have had that dream? I have too. Oh, man. How many of you, that was a reality? That's the problem. <laughs> All right. Uh, the next one is flying without the aid of Southwest Airlines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just do that. Uh, number six is being paralyzed. You're like you're aware and you can't move. And yeah, come on. Uh, then there's the falling. Right? Yeah. How many of you? Yeah, I know. Well, we've all fallen and fall short of the glory of God. All right. But uh, number eight, one of my favorites, food. Yeah, you know, it depends how hungry you go to bed, right? Uh, number nine, houses that you have lived in in the past. Suddenly you're in that living room from 10 years ago, right? At number 10, and I'll phrase this the right way, uh, being inappropriately attired in public. <laughs> you, you know, in your jammies, right? Where you should not be in your jammies. Right. Uh, I have a dream, that uh, a recurring dream, and it's always kind of the same. It's 10.29 a.m. on Sunday, and I know it, right? I know it. Hey, it's, about, it's the counter. The counter's on, you know, and I can't find my Bible, and I cannot find my notes, and I'm inappropriately dressed <laughs> in, my, in my jammies, in my jammies, crying out loud. Yeah, and there, there's one more I'll tell you about. Uh, I have a dream where I'm opening the Bible on the pulpit, and the pulpit keeps moving five, five feet, you know, just a foot away. And so I come up to it, and it moves away again. And it's like, oh, yeah, that dream's not from the Lord. <laughs> All right, well, I don't give much stock to dreams. They're kind of mismatch of craziness and a, 
conglomeration of nonsense for the most part. Um, I am thankful to take our cues from the word of God. Uh, that's clear and uncomplicated and trustworthy. But in Bible times, God certainly made use of dreams and visions. The visions were called waking dreams, that they weren't quite asleep, but they were just kind of in a trance. Now, uh, with the completion of the Bible, it's my opinion that God doesn't have to use dreams and visions as much as he did. Uh, he, he can he does whatever he wants, and, and if he wants to communicate with us in that way, he, he obviously is free to do that and does do that. Uh, but when we have a decision to make in these modern days that we have a completed Bible in front of us, 2,000 years of church history and the Holy Spirit in our hearts, and we go to the Word of God, we don't rely on a dream. Amen? Amen. All right, so famous dreams in the Bible include in the Old Testament, Jacob's Ladder, you know, with the uh, angels ascending and descending. Joseph's dream uh, that made his brothers so jealous they wanted to kill him. Uh, and then in the New Testament, you have Joseph was ready to divorce Mary, uh, but then he had a dream. And you know the story there. Pilate's wife. Pilate's wife had a nightmare. And she went running out to her husband and said, have nothing to do with that innocent man. So God was given Pilate, hey, if you want to step out, I'll exonerate you. We can reconcile. We'll get another bad guy. There are plenty of bad guy volunteers, <laughs> you know. So uh, nobody's uh, condemned. God gives us free will. Pilate could have opted out, but he chose not to. And then, of course, there's John's vision of the end of the world. That was a waking uh, dream for sure, and that's the book of Revelation. Now, here tonight in uh, chapter 2 of Daniel, we find that the Apostle John's not the only one uh, with a vision of Armageddon, of the end times, uh, and we're going to see that uh, tonight. Uh, the king of Babylon, that pagan unbeliever, the, uh, the ruler of the world empire of Babylon, right? 600 years before John the Apostle's even born, uh, this guy's going to have the same kind of dream. And he dreams a dream, and it's the dream that is the topic of chapter two. And it's also this dream that is gonna thrust Daniel and his three friends onto the world stage. And it's really gonna set the tone for the rest of the book. Uh, and so uh, here we go. Verse number one. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he couldn't sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we'll interpret it. So let's pause there. We start out with the nightmare, all right? And it is a nightmare and you'll see why. Uh, now we have the circumstances of this incredible uh, dream. So it seems, according to the opening verses, that uh, Neb, as I like to refer to him as, it's a lot easier to say. Neb was just getting settled into the groove of ruling the world. It's his second official year. 
there are multiple different uh, calendars being used with Nebuchadnezzar, so you could get confused. There it's a Babylonian, there's a Hebrew calendar, and so it's the second official year. So he's starting out there. He's already flattened Jerusalem, you'll recall, and conquered Judah, which was kind of the last holdout to his empire. His empire is going to spread from Iraq to northern uh, Turkey, including Syria and Jordan, parts of Egypt, all of Israel now. So it's about, really, I've read up to 500,000 square miles. And so he's the ruling uh, uh, monarch of the then known world. And so he did take the cream of the crop, you'll remember, Daniel and some nobility with him as exiles from uh, Jerusalem. Uh, talent is talent. It's like, why waste this? Don't kill these noble young men. Let's train them up in the ways of Babylon and we'll use them. And so he took them with him. And now that's how Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, get to there. Not to, not to forget Ezekiel. Ezekiel also is one of the uh, exiles. So now begins the Lord's plan. I called it Operation Infiltrate Babylon because he's going to move his Jewish exiles. Though they're only teenage boys. They're about 16, 17 years old. Right? He's going to use them uh, to, to bring the gospel and God's truth into the world empire of Babylon. So, But they start out on a bus from Judah all the way there, uh, really with handcuffs on. And so we're going to see their wild ride here. So early in his, in his rule, it begins in, uh, with a nightmare. And by the way, most it's the conversion process because he's going to end up, it looks like, of getting saved. Uh, and so uh, most uh, conversion experiences really involve some sort of nightmare. <laughs> it's, it's unfortunately, that's the way we humans come to know the Lord. Um, now, he, in this opening verse here, he, it says he's dream, he has dreams, but it's really in the Hebrew, it's saying he's, he's dreaming actively. And so it's really one dream. And also it says literally his spirit was struck with him. And the word there is as a hammer strikes an anvil, right? And so my picture was his head, you know, is here and uh, two symbols just kind of crashing in on him. And that nightmare effect is reverberating in his soul. And he's very upset and he's so disturbed. And literally the Hebrew says his sleep was done. So he, this guy's upset. So in ancient Babylon, they believed that the gods would try to communicate with you through vivid dreams. And so that's what he wants. He wants a little help because he thinks this dream has some sort of ominous meaning to him and his life. And he's right, right? And so he needs help. And so if only someone who claimed to have the powers to be in touch with those gods could be of help. Well, verse two, oh yeah, that's why I pay those guys. You know, psychics, sorcerers, and fortune tellers uh, were being paid to do a job to do what he's looking for, right? So with a couple clasps of his royal hands, he's got uh, the, all the astrologers at his beck and call, right? And I pictured the middle of the night, you know, with their, their, they've got bedhead, you know, and, and, and they're, they're kind of uh, scared and everything. So uh, several words are used for these guys all through the book. 
And they all kind of mean the same thing. Uh, They practice sorcery. The word is witchcraft, really, in the Hebrew. Uh, Astrology and horoscopes and all of that kind of thing. Mediums and psychics, uh, soothsayers. I mean, there's so many different ways to spell it, but I think you get the picture. You know, there are different nuances, each one of them. You know, and they probably all had their specialties. Uh, But it's all that occultic a practice kind of thing, which is severely condemned in the Bible. I'm going to throw out some verses for you with pens. All right, you ready? Exodus 7:11, Exodus 22:18, Deuteronomy 18:10, Isaiah 49:9, Jeremiah 27 verse 9, Malachi chapter 3 verse 5. All serious, thou shalt. Not mess with these dudes. Don't go near them. What did the New Testament have to say with it? Well, in Acts 16, a fortune teller is getting a demon cast out of her. So, you know, that just tells you you best stay away from those kinds of uh, practices. Amen? Amen. I digress, as usual. So the the royal uh, request, uh, he calls in Ghostbusters, okay? And in... (laughs) I like that. So he says, hey, listen, guys, I got clobbered by this nightmare that's haunting me. I want to know what the dream means. And so after the customary greeting, oh, king, live forever, and yada, 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 uh, they're all, yes, we can. We certainly can. We will certainly interpret your dream, verse 4. Just tell us what it was, and we'll tell you what it means. And there was a long, awkward pause. And then verse 5 through 11. The king replied to the astrologers, "Um, this is what I firmly decided. If you don't tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I'll have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you'll receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream. And... Interpret it for me. Once more, they replied, (laughs) well, uh, let the king tell his servants the dream, and then we'll get our book out, and we'll tell you all the symbols, we'll interpret it for you all night long. Then the king answered, I am certain that you're trying to gain time, because you realize that this is what I've already firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there's just one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream. And I know, then I'll know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, there's not a man on earth who could do what you're asking. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or an enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. We want our bombs. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no one can reveal it to the king except the gods that they don't live among men. Uh-oh. <laughs> so truth or consequences, time to deliver. Now, you know, inflated resumes, world-renowned reputations, awesome claims are all now irrelevant. Produce. What's promised? 
Deliver on what you say that you can do. Produce it now. So uh, verse five says, you know, I've already made up my mind on this one. Uh, This time you will tell me the dream. You're the psychics, right? And then you'll interpret it easy peasy. And if you don't, there's a couple things that I see in your future. (laughs) I got uh, my own little magic ball right here. And so he's going to say, A, I'm going to cut you into pieces or pull you apart limb from limb. Now, that's what they used to do. Yeah, it was very popular. But you know why? Because it was very effective. I mean, it was effective getting what they wanted out of the person. They'd tie to and start pulling. Yeah, yeah, that's not good. Um, and B, I'll turn your homes into garbage dumps for the community. That's where their wives and kids live, right? So... Um, yeah, no idle threat, too. You do realize that, right? This is the dude who caught... Remember when he attacked Judah, right? And King Wicked, King Zedekiah of the, of the Jews, fled with his sons out the garden gate into the Arabah, the, the, the Judean wilderness. But King Nebuchadnezzar's guards caught them, brought them back. They said, very good. This is the guy speaking, Nebuchadnezzar. He said, no, uh, Zedekiah, take a look at your boys. And then he said, kill the kids. So they killed the boys. And then he said, I just wanted you to, to have your last visual of your sons being executed. And then he gouged out King Zedekiah's eyes. So this guy's serious. Nobody in the room was doubting. I'm going to cut you to pieces if you don't tell me my dream. And they're like, oh, no, 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 just tell us to dream and everything will be fine. And so, yeah, he's saying, no worries, just do your magic, boys. <laughs> now, if you do royal honors, maybe my daughter in marriage, maybe huge bonuses, promotions, the whole nine yards, you know? So take out your little chicken livers, you know, your chicken and, and trails they used to cut open and use the organs and, you know, kind of things, or gas yourself and get your blood or roll your eyes back and do your thing and start to, you know, shake and get busy. Get busy. Tell me my dream. So the psychics are buying some time. I love this one in verse 8. Sorry. Uh, yes, indeed. So yes, uh, uh, tell us what you saw. You know, um, uh, well, <laughs> can we play charade? Sounds like, you know, they need to know. They need some kind of hint or clue. So they're buying time and he gets it. He says, I know what you're doing. You know, you just want to buy some time because you, you know you can't do it. You know, he's not dumb. He's lost but he's not dumb. And so what does he say? He says, if you, t- how would I ever know that you're telling me the truth? You could tell me anything about the dream. But if you tell me what I dreamed, then I'll know, oh, okay. You can interpret it because you actually could read my mind and look into my heart. And so, you know, the psychics push back from 10 to 11. And I really like this, all right? It's hilarious because if you look what they're saying, they're saying, now first of all, they're saying, you're being unreasonable. Well, the, court, the courtroom gasped. You know, you don't tell Neb that he's being, uh, this is Nebuchadnezzar, you don't say you're being unreasonable. They say, nobody on earth can read somebody's mind, okay? That's something only the gods can do. And they don't live down here. We don't have access to them. 
What do you, th- what do you take us for? Some kind of mind readers? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what's uh, over the door of your business. It says, you know, have you a troubling dream? Come to us, you know? Oh, suddenly. Oh, it's such an unreasonable request, you know? What do you have? Nobody can do that. They're admitting. Nobody can do that. Only the gods. And we don't have access to the gods. You don't? What am I paying you for? What am I keeping you around for? Sheesh. So they're like, whoops, the truth came out, you know. He's all, that's not what's on your resume, boys. Okay, so the whole deal, they say it's un, there's an unreasonable request here. No man can do what you're asking. And number two, you're an unreasonable king. No king. There are no other kings that have ever asked this of anybody. There's a long, awkward pause. 12 through 18. This made the king so angry <laughs> and furious that he ordered the execution of all of them in Babylon, all the wise men. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death. And the men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He's 18. 15. There, first 15. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the whole thing to Daniel. At this, Daniel went in to the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Meshach, uh, is actually uh, Azariah, right? Oh, oh, I get them all mixed up. Which one is which? But Hananiah, Meshach, and Azariah are their Hebrew names for Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Verse 18, he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Now I have a, a little limerick of sorts. When the king sees red, somebody usually ends up dead. All right, fine, be that way. Uh, Proverbs 20 verse two says this. I love this proverb. Is this not just fitting? It was written for this situation. A king's wrath strikes terror like the roar of a lion. Those who anger him forfeit their lives. That's what we got right here. So the edict is issued here. You're all going to die. Every last card reading one of you. All right, so card reading. They read the the tarot cards, okay. Wives, explain it to your husbands in the car. Going home, all right. I still don't get it. Okay, that's all right. Why? Why is he okay with killing all of them and losing all his valued uh, wise men? Well, because they're frauds. And he realizes that. And they can't do what they're hired to do. So why am I feeding, clothing them, and entertaining them? What's up with that? So he doesn't, it's like, do away with them. Well, finally, I figured out what I kind of suspected the whole time, you know? So uh, one writer said, the extermination of frauds, liars, and deceivers is no loss to anyone's kingdom. 
Well, unfortunately, among the group, low on the totem pole and seniority are Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, our Bible heroes, who were forced into the College of Magic Arts there, and they're on the roster. So when the head secret service uh, guy arrives at Daniel's dorm, he says, bad news Jews, all right? So (laughs) I got you on that one. All right, verse 14. Now notice Daniel in verse 14 engages the chief executioner. By the way, Arioch means to slay. So he is the chief executioner. And he knocks at the door. He doesn't knock at the door. He opens their dorm door and says, come with me. And he's got the black hoods. All right? But Daniel, in that moment, was gifted with wisdom and tact, so much so that he gets him to talk to him. Now, if he handled this wrong, he'd be like, what's it to you? Well, what's going on? What's going on? You know, a bad attitude. And the guy, all he has to say is, it doesn't concern you. There's been an edict. Come with me. But Daniel's wisdom and tact turned him enough to get the message out of him so important. The word there to describe the tact means taste in Hebrew. Uh, and, and what it describes is not just the perfectly chosen words, but the tone, the confidence, and the countenance. Uh, it's not just what he said, but how he said it. So there was something very appropriate, very suitable, and in keeping with the situation, as crazy as it sounds. So uh, he's able to engage him and get him to tell him the story. So he says, hey, listen, please take me to the king. All right, Uh, now Daniel and his friends have already interviewed with this king some while ago, right? So, and the king gave him an A-plus on his finals. So he has a little bit of pull there. Hey, you know, remember this or whatever he's, he's hang, holding on to. He gets to get, go down to uh, the palace. And the king remembers his shiny eyes, you know, and he says, okay, all right. I'll give you the time that you're asking for. And he stays the order of execution temporarily, right? So uh, Daniel, you know, he, he, it says he returned to the dorm room. Come on. He, he was running, right? He was running, not walking home to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to their company dorm, you know? And uh, he, he busts through the doors. Can't you just imagine this? You know, get down on your faces now. <laughs> we got some work to do, brothers. You know, we're going to plead uh, for mercy from God, you know, and uh, just, uh, just, You know, and he calls him, he says, let's look to the God of the heavens. You know, the Babylonians look to the sun, moon, and stars, but we're going to go up to God who made them and spoke them into existence and ask him for mercy because he's over the sun, moon, and stars, and he's over the gods of the Babylonians, and he's over this king as well. And so we're going to look to God. I love Psalm 121. Right along these lines, I will lift up my eyes to the Lord. Where does my help come from? My help, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. You think about speaking and making an earth. That's a good helper to have when you're in times of trouble. 
You know, come on, when you're in serious trouble, the lesson here is there's only one place to go. And why, when we get terrific or horrific news, why does every human being look up? Why? Because we know instinctively there are some problems and some concerns and some matters of the soul that only God can, can deal with. And we go to him. So he says to, you know, we need a miracle, brothers. Let's hit the deck. And so they did. 19 through 23. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. I can only imagine his joy and relief. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God, of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Just so beautiful. So when we pray, God shows us the way. Uh, Jeremiah 33, 3. You know, my kids used to say, they come home from Sunday school. They say, Dad, you know, uh, I, I learned God's phone number. It's Jeremiah 33, 3. And then they'd quote, call to me and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. It's just beautiful. They call out to God. God knows everything about your life. He's the one who can, can help you. He's the one you need to go do, to call to. And prayer always leads to praise. And so, you know, there's a psalm here, a psalm of thanksgiving. I would call the, the psalm, I would have named the psalm few, few, and thank you, Lord. You know, God comes through the mysteries revealed in verse 19. It seems like it was a waking dream. In other words, a vision and not that one where he's asleep. Why? Well, first of all, it's called a vision. And second of all, who's going to be sleep, sleeping while an executioner is at the door? You know, hey, you got, you got till tomorrow morning, okay? He's, you know, he's holding some weapon, you know. It's not a time for Betty by. It's a time to seek the Lord, you know. And imagine their joy when, when they're looking at Daniel and Daniel's like, Like, I'm on the line, I'm on the line. And, uh, you know, he, he talks to them and he says, uh, you know, I got it, I got it, I got it. You know, he was overjoyed. They were, you know, I have written down here, hashtag Hebrew happy dance, you know, because I could just <laughs> imagine, you know, come on, they were about to get killed. They were about to have their heads chopped off. And, and it all depends. Are you going to tell me this vision? How am I going to get a dream and know what it means? Oh, God, save us. And suddenly he starts having the vision. He's like, oh, man, this is so awesome. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. Verses 24 through 30. Then Daniel went to Arioch the slayer with whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, said, don't execute anybody. Take me to the king. I'll interpret his dream for him. The slayer, 
took Daniel to the king at once and said, hey, <laughs> feathering his own nest, I found a man among the exiles <laughs> from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. Anything in this for me, king? Okay, the, <laughs> the king asked Daniel, also called his, his pagan name, uh, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mystery. And fortunately for you, oh, sorry, got carried away. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you lay on your bed are these. As you were lying there, O king, your mind turned to the things to come. And the revealer of mystery showed you what's going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anybody else around here, but so that you, king, may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. And so here we see Daniel's humility and, and setting up the scene for God to be able to receive 100% of the glory. And you see this in some beautiful ways here. So Daniel, as you see there, is ushered into the world ruler's chambers. Uh, did he kill uh, Daniel's parents? Maybe. Where are Daniel's parents? They're either dead or they're in shackles somewhere in Babylon, right? Uh, here's this dude who's killed so many people I mean, but he walks into his presence and he says, I've got a two-part question for you, kid. Number one, can you tell me the dream? And two, explain what it means. And Daniel has a dramatic opening line that causes everybody in the room to just kind of go, <gasps> you know, here we go again. You know, somebody's about to die. Because he says, are you able to? And he says, uh, no, I'm not. No human being could do what you're asking, for that's God's department. Fortunately, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, right? So here comes the added bonus, because Daniel's going to tell him not only what he dreamed, what it means, but what led up to the dream. He didn't even ask for that, but he's going to throw it in. You know, just to, to let him know. So he says, let me tell you how this all got started. And I'm paraphrasing as I like to do. Now, King, as you were putting on your jammies and getting ready for bed, your mind started thinking about the future. And as you were laying there, kind of thinking about the future and your place in the world and wondering what lies ahead, which kingdoms are going to rule and how this whole thing's going to play out. God showed you. Because isn't it true? That's how you went to bed and that's what you were thinking about. Right? God showed you. And this mystery, by the way, King, was explained to me not because I'm so smart or smarter than anyone else in your kingdom, but because God just needed a mouthpiece to talk to you. That's the moral of this story. Not that Daniel has... I, I, Daniel's saying, I have nothing to do with this. I am a conduit. That's all I am. I don't know about dreams. I don't know about you. I don't know what you were dreaming. Somebody told me about it, and this is all about him and him and you. 
And I'm just like the ATM where you get your cash, you know, just try to whatever. I don't know where that thought came from, but here's a nice quote about this passage. Everyone graced with a gift from God and all God's children have a gift must realize what Daniel realizes. The only one worthy of praise is the one from whom the gift and the grace flows. We are nothing. He is everything, right? But you know, when you're operating in your gift, it can go to your head, you know, because no one can do what you can do with that gift. And it's beyond your ability. So people tend to be wowed at the gift that they see in you. And before long, you just think, wow, that's how I identify myself. I can do this great thing that a lot of people can't do, right? And so you start thinking it's all about you and your hard learning or the school you went to or some kind of genetic thing. Whatever it is that you're thinking, oh, Daniel just knows I am nothing. He's everything. He just said, hey, you, I need your mouth. Do you mind? And Daniel's like, yeah, okay, you can use my mouth. And that's what he's trying to tell the king. So he's setting him up. So, you know, I like what Dave Ramsey says when he answers the calls. I love that radio show. You know, uh, they say, how are you, Dave? And he says, better than I deserve. Better than I deserve. Oh, come on. Paul the Apostle says, I, I forget where it is. I think it's 1 Corinthians 4, where he says, for what makes you different from anybody else? What do you have that you did not receive? That's a rhetorical question to a Christian. What do you have that you haven't received as a gift from God? Right? The answer is nothing. Of course, anything good in my life, in my heart, that comes out of me is ultimately you can trace it back to him because in my own heart is brokenness, emptiness, weakness, and a lot of sin. Then the next part of the question in 1 Corinthians 4 is, then why do you boast like you did not receive it when you did? Well, just something to remember. 31 through 45, so big section now. Okay, he's about to explain the dream now. 31. All right, here we go. Buckle your seatbelt, king. You looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, <laughs> dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms, silver, belly, thighs, bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron, that's important, and clay, and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became this huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. You, O king, are the lowercase king of kings. 
The God of heaven has given you dominion and power, might and glory. In your hands, he has placed mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air, wherever they live, he's made you ruler over all of them. You are that head of gold, but after you, another kingdom will rise, inferior to yours. Next, the third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there'll be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything, and as iron breaks things to pieces, so it'll crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and the toes are partly baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom, yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong, partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with the baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the last regime on earth, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. That's it. We're done with mankind. It's uh, human institutions. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring to an end, bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, and the silver and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. This dream is true, and the interpretation is trustworthy. All right, let me show you a picture of that. Remember, we saw that, that already. You know, now, you know why he considers this a nightmare? Because he's standing here, okay? He's standing here. Can you imagine how big and God, how God made it seem through his eyes? And so he's, he's just a tiny little thing, and he's looking up at this thing, and he sees it all. And yeah, not to mention this is headed his way. So yeah, he's got, um, he's got a nightmare on his hands. Uh, so why don't we put the text back up there so they can follow along. Now, I call this section head, shoulders, knees, and toes. So God's saying... God was saying, listen, since you're laying there, Mr. King of Kings, and one day you will belong to me, you just don't know it now, um, I'm going to tell you the answer to what your heart wants to know all the way to the end of time, human history, when my Christ will appear and establish his kingdom. I'm going to tell you all the way to the second coming. That's pretty Amazing, then. To the fulfillment of the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come. He gets an answer to that. That's amazing. And so we see why he's so uh, frightened. He's petrified because it's enormous and dazzling and it's a big deal. So notice the successive kingdoms decline in value, all right? So the, uh, the gold goes to silver, the silver goes to bronze, the bronze goes to iron, and then iron mixed with clay. Now, what's God saying there? Oh, uh, well, uh, you know, the head of gold is going to be Babylon, and then Persia is going to come in for the, for the silver, right? Persia's twice as big and as strong. But why are the values going down for? Because God's saying, Things are just going to go downhill to the consummation of the ages. Things will, are going to go from bad to worse. From worse to worser. <laughs> to more worse. 
all right? And that's just the way it is. And, and he's talking morally and spiritually there. And oh, come on. All you have to do is watch the news tonight. Just watch the news tonight and see our own American cities just coming apart, just like World War III. Where? In our own country. It's just, it's just so sad. So commentators are quick to jump on that the Lord is saying that, you know, it just is going to be spiritual and moral degeneration until he comes, his kingdom of righteousness and goodness and fills the earth. Uh, that's the picture of the rock that comes down and grows to universal dominion. Now, not only uh, the feet are destroyed, right? But the whole statue and the whole statue means that's the end of everything. It's ground to powder, blown away by the summer breeze, and uh, all traces of that hideous, corrupt, scary thing called human oppression and evil wickedness swept away, gone, forgotten about. It says in the Bible, we will not remember. It will not, none of the bad things here, the evil, will enter into our minds or hearts. They shall never be remembered again. And so you have kind of a picture of that here. So I like what he says. Oh, and by the way, I saw a bumper sticker again. I've told you about this. It says, who, who, who would Jesus bomb? You know, listen, put the picture back up again. Okay, this is Jesus bombing, you know. This is a picture of Jesus bombing the whole world. And, and why he's only bombing the whole world uh, that hasn't received his gift of eternal life, which he himself became one of us and bled and died to give in love. He doesn't want anybody to suffer that. And proof of that is God in a human body stretched on on a Roman cross dying for the sins of the world, saying, come to me, have life, don't perish. But if you're going to reject that and spurn the God of heaven's love and sacrifice of his own son on your behalf, then that's what's going to happen. He made a way out and gave you a choice. That's what it is right there. Who will Jesus bomb? Read Revelation 6 through chapter 18 for the answer to that. Anybody who rejects his cross, right? And so you can go back to, and I'm on verse 36. The interpretation is uh, said to come from we. I love that. He doesn't say, now I will give you, I'll tell you. He says we. And we meaning, you know, listen, God and his servant, we. And the boys who were praying, they're part of it too. So we're going to tell you, you know, and uh, here are the four kingdoms. Now, uh, let me just show you this. This is beautiful. I've got the, the, the statue with the, with the successive kingdoms here. Babylon, he says, this is you, man. Yeah, well, let's start from now. You're, you're, the, you're the king of kings, lowercase. And um, he says, you're, you're the head. You know, he really was. It was all about Nebuchadnezzar. He reigned about 43 years. And when he died, uh, Babylon rules for 23 more years. And then come in the, Ara the Iranians. So the Babylonians are Iraqis. The Medes and the Persians are Iranians. 
So Iran takes over a much bigger part of the world. Uh, you know, and so that's silver. And so that's under uh, the, the silver, the chest and the arms is Cyrus, King Cyrus, who also seems like a believer. Um, and that he will last 200, they will last 208 years. Then we go down to the belly and the thighs of bronze, which is the Greeks. The Greeks came in three, three, 332 BC. Alexander the Great comes in. And uh, they dominate for 185 years. Then we get down to Rome. And Rome is the iron, all right? The iron legs there. And uh, nobody's as fierce as the Roman Empire. And uh, language there, break to pieces, smashes, uh, crushes. They're uniquely fierce, and they were. And it's interesting that commentators say, it's interesting you got two legs because uh, the first leg... uh, uh, the Western Roman Empire uh, dissolves in 476 AD. But there's a thousand years more on the other leg. Uh, uh, and, and the Eastern Roman Empire uh, dissolves at 1,453. Uh, in the year 1,453 AD, the Eastern Roman Empire Dissolves. Interesting. Where are we now? Well, we're in the ankle zone. All right. Because what happens after after the Roman Empire kind of dissolves? There is no world power. There is no world power to this day. So where they're all just nations kind of vying for world power but failing. Right? So you have nations all over the place until the end, whenever that end is, the feet. And the feet is right there somehow connected to Rome because the legs, as one writer said, you know, the legs, uh, the feet emanate from the legs, which are Rome, the iron, right? So that we, know that we know that it's not the Roman Empire because the boulder hasn't fallen yet. Jesus is not here. So somewhere between here and here, there's a revival of something European here. Now, this is what one commentator said, really. Are, are the toes significant, the 10 toes? I would say yes, because in Daniel 7, it's the identical dream, only with animals. And the fourth animal sprouts 10 horns. So the fourth empire is a coalition of 10, the last days when Christ appears, that government will be a confederation that somehow has a connection to Europe, since that's where the Roman Empire was, and somehow has a connection to 10, a confederation of 10 that's partly strong, kind of divided, partly vulnerable. And Daniel chapter 7 says, of that, of the feet, that's where you find the Antichrist. He pops up from one of those 10 horns and he does away with a few of those horns. And so anyway, we'll get to there, but that's one, one commentator summed it up this way. In short, before the second coming of Christ, uh, when we're talking about the feet now, 10, a literal number or symbolic number of kingdoms or nations of unequaled strength will unite to form a coalition 
that will rise out of the ruins of the ancient Roman Empire. Since Rome is a part of Europe and the activities of that ancient empire centered in Europe, it is reasonable to assume that this is the area of the world that will play a leading role in this future regime. In Daniel 7, the prophet indicates that from this empire, the feet, will come the evil world leader of the last days, commonly called the beast or the Antichrist. Where's, where's America? Where's America in all of this? Well, sadly, you might read Revelation chapter 18 and reflect on that. Because sadly, I think it, it may sound very familiar. So let's finish up. Finally, there'll be this. Yeah, is that it? No, there's more. 46. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I don't want to go through that again. <laughs> then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor in order that an offering and incense be presented to him. He's trying. He's just really lost. The king said to Daniel, at least he's got it. He knows ultimately, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. For you are able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon, 500,000 square miles, and placed him in charge of all his so-called wise men. Uh, moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. At Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his three buddies, administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. So now it's Nebuchadnezzar's turn to praise God. So uh, Nebuchadnezzar is on his way to faith, really. He's on his way to faith. He's going to have a lot of ups and downs. And he has a big down starting chapter 3, verse 1. All right, so right away. You know, that's kind of how it goes with our conversions to Christ. You know, we come really close and then, and that's what's going to happen. So the king of the world is bowing before an 18-year-old prisoner of war. These kids, okay, they, they still have acne problems, all right? Uh, they're, they're not fully out of puberty almost, you know? So he's honoring Daniel. He knows ultimately that God is the one who gets the praise. So um, apparently it's not a moment to put the king in his place when he's bringing out the incense to Daniel. You know, sometimes there's, a, and Daniel will put kings in their place. But you just, he just knows. He just knows when to speak and when not to speak. He's going to leave this one to the Holy Spirit, you know? So Plus, he's pretty exhausted, I would think. He's just standing there in shock, probably. So uh, lesson one for King Nebuchadnezzar, he says, hey, your God is king of all the gods. Unfortunately, there's a lesson two because he's not quite a convert yet. Lesson two is, dude, He's the only God. He's not king of the gods. Like we're going to make a little Yahweh statue and we're going to move him to the head of the class. He can be king of all my other gods because we're going to have a kingdom of tolerance. We're going to allow everybody to have their gods and we'll put him 
this Yahweh character, he's head. Oh no, dude, you don't get it. You will get it, but you'll need a few chapters uh, before you understand that God says, I am God, I am the Lord. Isaiah 43.10. I am the Lord. Apart from me, there is no God. There was not a God formed before me. I'm quoting, not a God formed after me. I am the only Savior, period. Isaiah 43.10. So, so yeah, he's got a lot to learn. You know, now this is eternal life that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is the way to eternal life, that there's one God and, and he's, he's reconciled us to himself through Christ. You know, my good friend Dave Galinda read that verse in the Bible as a young man. I think he was 19 years old. And he read this. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And he got saved. He just read that verse, pushed him over. He was born again. You know, it's a powerful thing to know. There's one God. There's one God. And he's made a way through Christ Jesus, our Lord. So Daniel's promoted. He's in charge of the admin cabinet. Now, now you know, it's nice. God takes him out of the sorcery school and puts him in a political position. He's not, you know, he's in charge of those guys. But he's, he's the prime minister of Babylonia. That's pretty cool for an 18, 19-year-old, whatever he was. And so, you know, Daniel doesn't forget his three buddies when fame and fortune strike, like perhaps some people do. Uh, you know, so though I think maybe in chapter three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have wanted Daniel to forget about them and not remembered them because, because they got promoted, they got into a lot of hot trouble, right? And so some of you know what chapter three is about. So, you know, we got these three teens, these three young, good, the Bible said they were good looking, they were handsome guys who were really wise and smart, three nice Jewish boys from Jerusalem, you know, now who are they? One of them's prime minister of Babylon. The other one's secretary of state. The other one's speaker of the house. And the other one's attorney general. <laughs> They're young. The other guys are old. They're, right? They're Jews. These guys are all Iraqis, right? The, the four guys just graduated fresh, Right? These guys were their profs, right? There's a problem brewing, right? In their human hearts, there's not a warm reception. The king is like, ladies and gentlemen, look who I just promoted, you know? And there's like four, <laughs> you know? Oh, no, you know what it was? Everybody burst into cheers and a standing ovation outwardly because of Nebuchadnezzar, right? You don't want to get pulled apart, you know, pulled pork. <laughs> You don't want to be, I don't, yeah. So, yeah, there was a standing ovation outwardly, as often is the case, you know. <laughs> and then you get in the car, wow, let me tell you, you know. Yeah, I'm, I know nobody in here would ever do that, but some people, some people go to other churches, they do. Apparently. So, yeah. Um, 
it's going to cause a problem. So for the rest of the book, there's going to be plots to kill these Jews. <laughs> got to get rid of them. They've got to find a way. And they're going to start with Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, starting in chapter 3, verse 1. They don't, they don't appreciate <laughs> these boys ruling over them. Okay, here are some reflections from this chapter, and then we'll pray and sing. Number one, I wrote down for me, God can make something good from a disaster. It's a disaster for those boys. Turned out pretty good for them. Number two, you know, we're at the mercy of God, not people. He ultimately is in charge of our lives. Not the person who's given you grief or is acting like they have the control. It's God. Amen. Ultimately. He's got the control and we go to him. Number three, when things look really, really bad, it's a good time to seek the Lord. Number four, God knows everything, including the future, and he showed us how everything ends. Amen. So let's live well, you know, because we're close. Jesus, our Lord, returns and the wickedness of the earthly regimes will cease. That was five. Number six, his kingdom of love, joy, and goodness and peace will fill the earth. There's no stopping God. There's just no stopping him. It's just a matter of time. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you and praise you, Lord, that you are the victorious God and you, you, you give your humble servants just uh, victory as well. Lord, you help us to overcome. That's the kind of God you are. We just are broken and humble and hurting and at uh, oftentimes, so many times, victimized. And, and yet you stand with the victim in our weakness and in our brokenness and you comfort us and you give us a reason to, to, to continue on and to put our faith and hope and trust in God and not man. Amen. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.